the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy Monday. We are glad to have you joining us today. As always, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, online, 1160hope.com, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Mr. Ian Simpkins, how are you this Monday afternoon? Man, after that searing intro. So much energy right now. Man, I got to sit down. (laughs) My goodness gracious me. Yeah, so uh, again, glad to have you joining us. And you told me you didn't preach yesterday. I'm wondering, uh, as a pastor, was that relaxing or stressful? Sometimes I get stressed when I go to church and don't (laughs) preach. How do do you deal with that? It's stress-laxing is what it is. It's it's both. It is... is, uh, I mean, the obvious part, not having to prepare or whatever, right. but there's always like little little stuff that still needs to happen. I do like being able to, like, I honestly got to just kind of visit with people yeah. without the, I mean, maybe this is too inside baseball. Do you ever feel like when you're before the service and you're just greeting and talking in the back of your head, like, oh, shoot, I want to make yeah. sure I remember this. I got to keep that, that in order. Yeah, I got to yeah. right. It is nice just to, oh, I get to just hang out and connect with people. And uh, I had been in the city the week before, so I hadn't been at the Yellow Box since before the new year. So that was nice just to, yeah. how was your holiday and how was family? And I just, you know, it was a, it was a sweet day just to hang out Good. with people. Sometimes I, I feel like it's always nice the week leading up to not preaching. Cause again, you got lots of free, you more time to meet with people right. and do stuff. But sometimes I feel more stress on Sunday morning. Not pre, I don't know. It probably speaks to some controlling nature, <laughs> like some, <laughs> some control impulse. Well, see, and I'm but, not the lead pastor though at my church, so you maybe you wear a different true. level of uh, of weight and expectation. I think, and good point in regard to the Sunday morning. Yep. And this week we're uh, we've got a full show, a uh, full week of shows, and then I'm going to be out next week in on my 20th wedding anniversary trip. Uh, that I'm just saying because I feel so good about it. Going to Mexico <laughs> for the first time ever, and I couldn't be more excited. And now it's supposed to snow the day that we're leaving. That's what I hear, man. <laughs> What do you what do you do if that gets canceled? Is Apparently, that... we spend our 20th anniversary sitting at the airport. Oh, how romantic! I am. Uh, I, I need all my prayer warriors out there to be praying for the weather, the snow on Saturday morning. I think it's the first time in a year that you've asked for that. <laughs> what is that music? What's happening? Apparently, it's, is that Mexico? Is that what John's doing over there? Uh, yeah, that feels culturally inappropriate. <laughs> I'll let you know if I hear that music while I'm at the all-inclusive yeah, resort in Mexico. Yeah, that's appropriation, I think. 
<laughs> well, speaking of our first story, <laughs> so it will be it will be good uh, next week. I'm excited. Well, uh, Christian today highlighted a new movie that came out. I think we touched on it a couple weeks ago, but uh, by Brian Stevenson called Just Mercy. Wondering if you've heard of this movie and and why it's an important movie right now that Christian today would even be writing about it. I have heard of it. We've talked about Brian Stevenson uh, a number of times, but I think well, when we get into the article too, I think it'll become really clear why this is like clearly resonating yeah. with a particular audience and is, I think, gaining all sorts of... Again, I haven't seen it, yep. uh, but I know the story, and the story is pretty remarkable, and uh, I think uh, the fact that Christianity Today is covering it says something. I, I wonder if people listening are skeptical about it, like what might be the other side of the coin, or people wondering if this is like a family-friendly film, or I don't I don't know. I haven't heard a whole lot of negative right. buzz around it at all, to be honest. Yep, so it's uh, the story it revolves around a faith-rooted activism of Brian Stevenson, played by Michael B. Jordan. I always wondered if that actor, I love that actor, but I wondered if he was always Michael B. Jordan or there came a point where you're like, your name can't be Michael Jordan. And oh, so I'm, I'm sure going to put the B in there to kind of differentiate. He's young enough that I'm sure the moment that he anticipated he was going into acting, you're yes. like, well, you can't be Michael Jordan, the actor. Sorry. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. not going to work. That's setting the bar really high. Right, right. I'm the Michael Jordan of acting. Right. Oh, that's a little arrogant. No, no, I really am the Michael Jordan of acting. Right. <laughs> so it's around the faith-rooted activism of Brian Stevenson and the creation of the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, Just Mercy recounts this tragic story of Walter McMillan, played by Jamie Foxx. Uh, McMillan was an African-American who owned a lumber company in a small Alabama town and was framed for the murder of an 18-year-old white girl. So uh, a hard story and uh, one that tackles the issue of mass incarceration and injustice. Um, I wonder, like you said, do you think this is going to be a movie that is... you know, sometimes you see movies where it's like, yeah, I should see that, but it's really hard to see. Yeah. Uh, or I wonder what the outcome of this movie is going to be. Yeah, I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen it or seen much about it, but I'd love to go see it. Well, okay, I think this question kind of gets at it. So the the article is um, mostly an interview, and uh, mm-hmm. so so Dominic Gilliard, who we've talked about, we actually did a conversation series with him at Community okay. last summer. Uh, he wrote a book called, I think it's called Rethinking Incarceration. The question that he asked Stevenson is, why is the significance of the timing of the films, or no, sorry, what is the significance of the timing of the film's release? He says, uh, this is a critical time in our nation's history. We've been so divided by politics of fear and anger that it's easy to stop caring about things we should care about. It's easy to tolerate things we shouldn't tolerate. And the way you combat that is to get people closer to inequality, to injustice, to things that are unfair. And that's what story making can do. That's what films can do. I've always loved the power of cinema to draw you into someone else's Mm. life, someone else's experience, and open your eyes and your heart to things that you need to see and feel. And that's what I'm hoping will happen with this movie. We have the highest rate of incarceration in the world. We have an incredibly extreme and harsh, uh, what's that word? Carceral system? Carceral system that treats a lot of people unfairly. A lot of people are vulnerable or exploited or abused, and I'd love to see that changed. Uh, but it won't happen until people understand the cost of that. I'm hoping that the film will create an opportunity for them to feel the pain of inequality and injustice, but also the triumph of what can happen when we fight and when we work. I'm really thrilled that it's happening at this moment when I think we're desperately in need of increasing the justice quotient in our nation. So the, the whole kind of, and again, we've talked about this in broad senses before, but the power of cinema and storytelling is to help people better empathize yeah. and understand to to give a perspective that maybe you otherwise wouldn't, which is why I think movies like this, um, some people are, are going to go honestly just for entertainment value because yeah. there's big names in it. <laughs> That's right. And hopefully 
leave with a bit of a perspective shift. And I think that not every movie necessarily accomplishes that or even sets out to do that. But I think his goal for like really pulling the curtain back a little bit on some of the injustices in the world is uh, is, is pretty powerful. Yeah, it totally is. And, and uh, one of the driving forces is, is to have a conversation about the death penalty, which we've done before. But I think this question, the way he asks it uh, about the death penalty, he says, I think that the threshold question when it comes to the death penalty is, it, do people deserve to die for the crimes they've committed? I think the threshold, threshold question is, do we deserve to kill? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a powerful question. He ends the interview by going, what do you hope the movie leaves the church wrestling with? He says, I hope it causes us to talk more about this need for redemption and grace to everyone. We can't be believers and be so hopeless about people who fall down. Life without parole is a hopeless sentence, and we impose that sentence upon people who are drug addicted and drug dependent. People who have made poor choices around money. There has to be more hopefulness in the way we think about any person's ability to recover, to be redeemed. Then the second thing is that we need to see people of faith in spaces where there's a lot of despair and Mm. anguish, Mm. where there's a lot of trauma and abuse. I can't think of any place where that is more evident than in our jails and in our prisons. I want to see people of faith get reengaged. The Gospels talk about not only feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and providing shelter to the homeless, but also about going into the jails and prisons and standing with the accused. And we haven't done that in a way that I think we should. And I hope it still inspires a conversation that leads us into that place. So we'd encourage you to see this movie, because if nothing else, uh, he's giving you the background of what's the conversation he's hoping to spur. And it sounds like a really good conversation for the church to be having. Totally agree. So that's how we're starting today. We hope you go see that movie. It's called Just Mercy uh, by Brian Stevens. And we'd love to hear your feedback as you see that movie. Well, coming up next, uh, an author who I've really enjoyed over time, Philip Yancey, wrote an article at Pathios called A Time to Doubt. We're going to talk about doubt coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. With Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, you can find us all sorts of places on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com, and we are podcasted. You can find it what? wherever you do podcasts. Since when? I mean, since, like, I think, they, I think they were podcasting us before our show even started. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Wow, that's nerve-wracking. Yeah, what, what, what do they hear us say? <laughs> what if we went back? What did the show start in January of 2019? What if yeah. we went back, we're like... December of 2018. What? It's just you driving in your car, saying random stuff. This was your test. (laughs) We bugged all of your devices. You got the job. If that were the case, we would have not gotten the job. No. No. (laughs) Not at all. No. Uh, so at Pathios, Pathios.com, uh, one of my, one, an author who I uh, especially went through a season more out of college uh, reading, Philip Yancey. I remember reading The Jesus I Never Knew, um, What's So Amazing About Grace. He, he was, uh, for especially for a season, just prolifically putting out books, which I always wonder about. Guys like Yancey and Lucado and those guys. Look like like two or three books a year. It's amazing. I'm like, maybe I could write one in my lifetime. Yeah, I barely read two or three books a year. Can you imagine writing? I think I colored three. And read one yeah, this right. Year. Gosh, I, one was an origami book. No reading necessary. And so uh, Yancey, amongst writing writing all his books, wrote at Pathos a an interesting blog called A Time to Doubt. And if you've ever read Yancey's stuff, he is very honest about the wrestling with doubt and uh, and uncertainty and being willing to hold up that there is doubt uh, in the midst of our faith and in the midst of of our uh, yeah of our Christianity. And so before he gives three things that he's wrestled with with doubt, but I would ask you 
um, both personally and pastorally, this issue of doubt. Uh, why is it important, but also why does it make people so uncomfortable? I, I think for a lot of people, they've been handed a version of doubt or an understanding of doubt that is meant to be feared, you know, and mm. I think uh, I do think it's at some degree inevitable. So I don't think it's a matter of whether or not people doubt. I think it's a matter of do they find themselves in spaces or around people where they have comfort and safety to share those doubts. Right. And I think, you know, it feels like there's this the goal that needs to be absolute certainty at all times about all things. Um, Peter Enns wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty, yeah. which really kind of gets after like how often we create these idols of certainty hmm. where we're really putting our trust more in our, our theological rightness rather than the person of Jesus, which yeah. is that can be a tough distinction because, you know, you're, I hope you're hearing both Brian and I say theological um, rigor matters a lot. We're like, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe, but you're hoping Jesus. What, what you matter is informing your behavior and it's informing how you actually live in the world. But I think doubt for a lot of people is just really spooky. And it was meant to, I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about it like, well, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, if you yeah. pull this thread or ask this question. So people either walk away entirely or they like, stuff all those doubts down and I think uh, I don't think either of those are really helpful but I like the way he starts it though he says in December I was interviewed by Nicholas Nico, sorry Nicholas Nicholas Kristoff of the New York Times who <laughs> devotes an Christoph. annual Christmas column to a conversation with the believing Christian Kristoff yeah. asks honest questions about such issues as miracles failures of the church and the reliability of the Bible within two days 830 Times readers posted comments and taken together they offer a snapshot summary of the skeptical culture we live in how can any sane person defend the uh, medieval text? The church does far more harm than good. If God exists, why doesn't that God do something about the 15,000 children who died today? Reading through these overwhelmingly negative comments gave me a stark reminder of the modern obstacles to belief. And so that's mm. kind of his premise was owning that there are real obstacles, which is what I appreciate about him, yeah. particularly as of late. It isn't this like, hey, you just got to believe harder believe, yeah. or try harder or suspend all of your thinking and just come to church. You know, like yeah. there, there has, there's been eras in American history where that was pretty much all the church offered to intelligent doubts. And I think that's why a lot of people are like, well, then I don't want to be a part right. of that. You know what I mean? Right. And spe- thinking especially of millennials and, uh, and the younger generations, I think uh, I, you made a good point about not just allowing them to have their doubts that we all have, but giving them spa- safe spaces uh, to... Uh, to wrestle with those doubts right. and to say, hey, no, that's okay. <laughs> that one of the more important parts of the faith is is what to do with your doubts. And so he wrote, out of my experience with doubt, I have reached the following conclusion. So he gives three conclusions uh, to his experience with doubt. So why don't we go through them? Why and, don't uh, we? Yeah, exactly. And so there are probably some of you out there right now uh, who are in the midst of wrestling with doubt. And uh, we want to say, hey, it, keep wrestling. And let's maybe Yancey's got something good here to say. Why don't you start us with number one? Number one says doubt is a normal part of the human condition. So not to brag. That's kind of what I just said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not to brag. We, but yeah, Yancey might as well have stolen from <laughs> Not me. to brag, but I clearly haven't read this ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it so Yeah, good. right? We are, after all, material beings relating to an invisible God who often seems silent and deaf to our cries. Instinctively, we want God to micromanage life on earth by constantly performing miracles that alter the laws of nature. The Bible describes such events, but as unusual pulses of God's activity, followed by long years of what may seem like inattention. 
1527, Martin Luther, that bulwark of faith who wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, recorded, For more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. Mm. He later reflected, The content of the depressions was always the same. The loss of faith that God is good and that he is good to me. I have yet to find a single argument against God from the new atheist, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, and Richard Dawkins, that is not included in the Bible in such books as Lamentations, Psalms, Job, Habakkuk, and Ecclesiastes. I respect a God who not only acknowledges our doubts, but also gives us the very words to express them. God has no need to, quote, prove himself by impressing us with supernatural reality. As spirit, perhaps, God instead wants us to work on the spiritual disciplines, prayer, silence, contemplation, fasting, study, Sabbath, that connect us to a non-material reality, God's native environment. Jesus refused to perform miracles on demand to dazzle onlookers. Miracles attract fans, whereas he sought disciples uh, with faith tough enough to withstand doubt and disappointment. I thought that was a really powerful. A very pastoral answer to that question. Absolutely. Number two, a sense of aloneness feeds doubt. He says, Jesus uttered that cry from the cross after his nation had turned against him and his closest disciples had melted away in the darkness. For me, Yancey writes, doubt works in an inward curving spiral, much like self-pity. I begin with a complaint against the church a, or confusion about some doctrine and ed, end up in a uh, slough of despond. Uh, I see only the contradictions, the negatives, the darkness. At such times, I need a doubt companion, a compassionate listen- listener who does not judge, but will walk beside me in strength. Community. We talk about that often. Uh-huh. That's powerful. Right. Uh, number three, then. One of three. And this is, what is the name of the list? Uh, he just talks about a time to doubt and how he wrestles with his own How doubt. he wrestles with that. Okay, number three. Doubt and faith coexist. Indeed, certainty, not doubt, is faith's opposite. Wow. The struggle between doubt and faith often leads to spiritual growth. John Drummond points out that Jesus consistently made a distinction between doubt and unbelief. Doubt, uh, what does that say? Doubt is can't believe, unbelief is won't believe. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. I'm going to yep. say that again. Doubt is can't believe, unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty, unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light, unbelief is con- uh, content with darkness. When wallowing in doubt, I face a choice. I can either assume a victimization attitude about this messed up world, blaming God for his defects, or somehow, despite my doubts, actively contribute to the solution. I have found that nothing quiets doubt so well as an encounter with transformed lives. And the best way to see transformed lives is to get involved with a ministry that serves the truly needy. God set in motion a plan in which we, Jesus' followers, are invited into a divine partnership to bring peace and comfort and love to a planet full of strife and pain and division. I dare not let doubt paralyze my participation in that plan. That's, That's really so good. good, man. That's good. So, Yancey, we'd encourage you to write this article, uh, read this article at our Facebook page. Yeah, don't, write com- don't write it. Don't write it. Been he, he did a good job <laughs> of it at the Common Good Radio Show. But doubt is something we all wrestle with at times, sometimes strongly, sometimes not as strongly. And uh, this is uh, really powerful. He ends by saying, perhaps this gives a model for how the church should handle doubters, doubters now. Can we provide a safe, welcoming place for those who need more light. So again, we'd encourage you to read this at our Facebook page, The Common Good uh, Radio Show. Coming up next, uh, something that millennials and Gen Zs uh, are not holding up as life goals, one study says. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. Uh, you can continue the conversation. You can read the articles we're discussing and some other fun stuff at the Facebook page at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Also at Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, <laughs> I think there's llamas fighting in the hallways. I was, did we bring llamas up to the fourth floor here? We're going to paint the picture for Holy you. Holy cow. We're going to paint a picture for you guys. We're in like this little studio <laughs> that has a, a big window to the hallway that makes us feel like we're in a zoo sometimes. And every now and then there's people peering in or it gets loud it's in the hall. It's very strange. So you just turned around. And you looked. heard the same noise I heard, right? I, you have, I was talking at least. And you cover both ears. I do. You still heard that? Yeah, a little okay. bit. But you just turned around and looked out the window. That's, that was the noise of nightmares, man. That was very strange. All right, we're good to go. That's what we need. Security, security. <laughs> llamas up here, apparently, and a turkey. Oh Well, before we get started, let me tell you uh, about something from In Touch Ministries. The new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries, they are our friends. Our friends at In Touch Ministries. Who, who are you trying to convince? <laughs> they are friends. They want to bless. No, no one disagrees with you. <laughs> they want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church. That's what friends do. Featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest and everybody who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That's 1160 com slash contest. Our friends. <laughs> I believe you. So we teased this before. <laughs> a new study uh, uh, gives us a glimpse into millennials and Gen Z Ooh. and something that is not one of their life goals. Why don't you tell us a little more about Why this? Why don't I tell you Please do. what they are? Here we go. New research from Barna reveals that younger generations around the world, so this is a global study, yep. are more interested in the pursuit of professional success and they are focused on family formation and building a home. The study, called the Connected Generation Report, documents findings collected from over 15,000 interviews with young people in both the Gen Z and millennial generations in 25 nations and nine languages. So it's a big study. Yep. The Barna Group conducted the research along with Christian humanitarian organization, the uh, World Vision. The nations selected for the study were based on countries and regions where Barna and World Vision received frequent re uh, requests for research-based insights. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Among the survey participants, approximately half had both completed their education and become financially independent from their parents. Around 40% reported having traveled to other nations, begun a career, and become, quote, spiritually mature. A quarter had prioritized getting married and caring for the poor. Fewer still, 21%, uh, said they prioritized purchasing a home. Practicing Christians who were surveyed led young adults in family formation, with nearly one-third stating that they had gotten married. 37%. Uh, reported becoming a parent, and 53% said they had become uh, more spiritually mature. Hmm. The study distinguished between practicing and non-practicing Christians. So yeah, I'll, I'll end with this here. The while family-oriented goals may, may climb higher on the list of priori priorities as these respondents move further into adulthood, nearly 4 in 10 young adults also aim to follow their dreams, 38%, and about 1 in 3 want to start a business travel to other countries, or become financially independent from their parents, the Barna Report noted. So uh, it goes on to kind of outline a little bit as to why they think this is, but I don't, I mean, are you surprised by this, or does this strike you as 
earth-shattering information? Uh, I think I am surprised by this, actually. When I was, so I'm out of this demographic now, uh, at the age of 42. You've never been a millennial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. You've always been a <laughs> Is that how generations hey, I don't work? think you Is grow up. Categories <laughs> I used to be a millennial, but now I'm. Uh, you, like, grew up into The age boomer. of the millennials now, I am far out of. Uh, but I think when I was that age, uh, I think have, uh, getting married and having a family was pretty high on my list. Now, I got married young. I did get married right out of college, age of 20. Uh, I think I was 22. Um, but I, rem- I don't remember being financially independent from my parents or traveling the world or advancing in my job being uh, the driving force. But I do get that. I, I see that in, in kind of that younger generation that I talk to now. Uh, but that really wasn't my experience. And, and a lot of my friends, too, I felt like there was kind of a focus. But also, I think we felt like it was less than a focus than like our parents' generation. Hmm. But but it feels like less of a focus now. Like I I was more than happy to get married really young. And it felt normal to me. And it, and, and, like, and you were 22? 22. 22, right? yeah. 22. And so and then it felt like my wife and I together, we are going to become financially independent. And together, we're going to do this. Right. And so it wasn't... This did surprise me because even if people are getting married later, it still feels to me like I would think that it was a pretty big life goal. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't seem that way. Maybe it's because I'm like still every once in a while invited to speak at a college or young adult thing. Yeah. Like I just feel I, maybe I'd like still have a little bit of figure on the pulse. Like none of this surprises me. This okay. is what I'm hearing them say. And I think um, as someone who got married, you know, a decade later than you did. There is I do I do bring some perspective with that, but I don't know that necessarily the reason that I didn't was because I was like oh, I'm too busy focusing on my career yeah, or yeah, yeah. becoming you know financially secure, which I did not accomplish. Uh, no. Yeah, not <laughs> not not great. Um, and kids are also expensive, I'm told. So like there is certainly yes. something to my own experience that I bring to this study, but uh, I do think it's interesting though because it feels like so much of the the general rhythm in church world, even just 15 years ago. You know, if you kind of looked at a flyer, any average evangelical church in the Midwest, it'd be like, okay, kids and students and college and then young marrieds, young families. Like that's sort of the timeline, even if it's just sort of subtly implied by the ministries that you offer. And I think in some ways churches are going to have to rethink that. Like, are we providing spaces for young professionals who aren't looking for a small group to serve as like a dating circle? And they're not looking for necessarily romantic connection just yet. Like, are we actually speaking some of their language when it comes to like high capacity, high drive, high experience? Um, maybe that's always been the case for young people, but I, it feels like more so now than ever. And I and I sometimes wonder, is is the church willing or able to a, adapt accordingly? Yeah, that's an interesting question because you do oftentimes the church is slow to move with you know where the trends of culture are going or the trends oh, yeah. of generations. And that's not new. That's always been that way. Absolutely. I think. Uh, and uh, one thing interesting, it says the data. Uh, suggests that millennials and Gen Z are, uh, they describe them as highly success oriented. Yeah. And I wonder how, how that's going to change, not just the church, but just change may, oh, maybe the church and things of faith. Cause again, cause I don't mean to make myself sound like a sloth and all, but I didn't feel like success wasn't what drove me. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't mean it didn't drive some of my friends or that doesn't sure. mean that. Uh, but to be like, as a whole, this generation is like really value success really highly above some of these other things that maybe I or, or we valued is is an interesting thing dynamic to go. Yeah. Okay. How do I speak to that? How do what is, what does that mean for issues of faith? What does that mean? Right. You know, kind of list all of them. Well, and I don't think any of the stuff that they're saying they 
quantify as success or bad things either. No, for some people, success is getting married, sometimes to an obsessive degree. We've also, I, I'm sure That's we can point. remember people like that, like, I just want to marry somebody. That's a good point. You're like, you need to pump the brakes on this whole marriage thing. Like, that also can be dangerous. But I think uh, how we define success and how we, how we speak of it even in a biblical context, because I think the pendulum tends to swing really far one way or the other, where on one end it's like, don't worry about any earthly success at all. Mm. Your treasure's in heaven. I'm like, yeah, but some people, I really think, were put on this earth to like raise a bunch of money to help yeah. give to good causes, to Absolutely. be a part of a movement. Like That's not bad either. And what I find most interesting about the study is that it's success in place of marriage. Because I feel like I know plenty of people that are still going after their dreams and they're doing it, like you were saying, yep. with a spouse and kids. Yep. It, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think... Uh, how this plays out in the next 10 or 15 years is going to be, I think, super interesting. Absolutely. I think trends are interesting, right? We, you don't want to paint with a broad brush and make all millennials do this, all right, boomers right. do this. Uh, but trends are interesting, both for the, the, uh, the church, but just, you know, as you're raising kids and all this stuff, I think it becomes really interesting. Well, coming up next, uh, an article out of the Gospel Coalition, how to process the scariest passage in the Bible. Ooh. Okay, stay with us. We are going to try to uh, uh, wrestle with a hard passage here next on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Happy Monday. For alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. That music just, every now and then, the music dictates how we come back Mm. or how I come back. That Mm. one felt more casual. You should uh, intentionally try to do the opposite of how the music makes you feel next time. Next time. Oh, I guess next time is just our regular open after the five o'clock hour. So I'm, I'm going to go hard in that next one. time. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to come back like a rage monster. Yep. I should tell you later today uh, during the second hour of the show, we're going to be joined by Dallas Jenkins. Dallas Woo! used to be on weekly. We called it Media Mondays. Uh, some of the things going on with his work and just the schedules. We haven't had him on in a while, but Dallas is coming back in studio today. And Very what's, excited what's his for that. work? He uh, he is the creator of the chosen. What is the chosen? The chosen is uh, it is uh, it is uh, you know it's not a movie. It's uh, it's a show. It's like a Netflix show that uh, is all about Jesus. That's a pretty good commercial. Is that not bad? <laughs> How would you describe the chosen? Exactly the way you just did. I don't think you would. <laughs> Look off into the distance the way that you just did. But Dallas is here. Like a, he's like a. But Dallas is here. <laughs> Dallas does a. Uh, he does a. Uh... So Dallas, you have this show, and it's sort of like a. Uh, it's like a. It's like a. It's like a. Uh, uh, now I sound like an old rabbi. Uh, how do you say? How do you say? Um, yeah, I think you'd really like that. <laughs> I had this moment where you asked me, also where my mind just went blank. Like, not a movie. It's more like a show. No, but you're right. He did have like a really quick, succinct way of describing it, and, and I, the words, are, that. The, yeah, the words are failing me too. So I'm told I'm right there with you. I, well, you know what I would do? In 2018, he created The Chosen, which is, in fact, the first ever multi-season show about the life of Christ. Are you reading that off his bio no. page right now? <laughs> I just had time to think about it. Oh, and then it just really came to you. Wow. So we're excited. Dallas comes in, and we talk all things media and uh, how it intersects with the faith. And there's been lots of things happening recently, including <laughs> just today. The Academy Award nominations came out, uh-huh. uh, and we're going to talk all things pop culture and media with Dallas, uh, beginning at... At about 520. So we would encourage you to join us for that. We're excited for him to be here at the Gospel Coalition. 
You can find this at gospelcoalition.org. The title of this article is How to Survive the Scariest Passage in the Bible. Let me set this up because I actually think they chose the passage. I remember being like in high school and college and reading this and being terrified by this passage. Wait, so what would you have guessed is that I, you've already read it, but like I would have guessed this passage. Oh, you 100%. Have. Oh, really? You? Yeah, oh, no definitely. Second Kings 440 for me. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. You've set up a joke here. I'm ready for it. Man of God, there's death in the pot. <laughs> That's mine. That's my. Did you tell me you used to sign cards that way for every like card? When I was a youth pastor, every card. <laughs> Great job. So proud of you. Second Kings four forty. <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. It's not that funny, but you no, laugh every time, so I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I also like the the accent you go. With. Man of God, there's, there's death in the pot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make it like a cartoon character, which is probably not helpful. So it says. Christians may disagree over what constitutes the scariest passage in the Bible, but most would agree Jesus's concluding words in the Sermon of the Mount rank near the top. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 reads this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will, will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And the article goes on to say, uh, it's frightening to think about going to hell. It's even more frightening to find out too late uh, that you're going to hell when you thought you were going to heaven. That's what scared me about it as a kid, as a high school. Well, here, let me just unpack it for where, where my fear was. I grew up in the church. I like to think that I was doing things for God. I'm doing see you at the pole in high school. I'm never missing youth group. I'm going to Christian college. Right. And this concept of like, I've been told all along to be assured of my salvation. And this sounds like the people here are like, no, I'm, I'm in, I'm in it. God. And Jesus is like, I never knew you cast away. <laughs> and the terrifying part is like, what happens if I get there? And he goes, yeah. I never knew you cast away. And so it just raises this anxiety, like almost like obviously this a greater level of anxiety than you could ever feel. I found this passage so scary, especially as as when I was younger. It's interesting, too, that this is probably the least preached on part of the Sermon on the Mount. Probably and I for lo- that reason. Right, and I love the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. It is such uh, an interesting way to end a sermon, though. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> let's just, okay, let's just, I mean, not to be, you know, fast forward 2,000 years. Yes. Can yes. you imagine ending a modern-day sermon in any way, shape, or form that resembles that. No. Why Why it's not? A, it's only Jesus or Mark Driscoll. It's one of the two. <laughs> Mark Driscoll. You just had to. We're reading a Gospel Coalition article. Oh, good point. And you had to go there. No, I, Jesus does that <laughs> so often where it's like. Yeah, how do we end? We want to end it. I want to end it. Max encouragement or max challenge, but challenge or it. max Lucado, right? Any of those, <laughs> <laughs> right? Any- what happened to our Monday show? <laughs> We're off the rails. Dallas, help us. <laughs> he does a. It's a. <laughs> it's a. With a how do you say? <laughs> so we want to end messages with um, maximum, like encouragement or right. challenge, but right. challenge that leads to good fruit. Like, hey, you know, if you do this, it could lead to this. Let me leave you with this challenge. Right. This is Jesus just kind of dropping a bomb. Yeah, and going, yeah, right. No, what you think, you think you know me, you don't know me, and all this kind of, like, no, this is He a big does deal. that a lot, though. Like, he's like, hey, if you don't hate your family, yes. you can't be my disciple. Or other things like, uh, yeah, eat my body and drink my yes. blood. Okay, go and do likewise. You know what I mean? There's, yes. there's some very surprising 
ways that I think for our modern sensibilities, we think like, oh, gosh, did he just say that? Okay, we can uh, we can let's skip that first. Let's, you know, and I don't mean to sound irreverent. It, that is a real struggle, I think, no, for pastors. To, absolutely. To like, and I now that I'm hearing you talk about your childhood struggle, I'm like actually remembering some of that. Yeah, I think I'd forgotten some of that. Like, well, then how will I know? Oh, my. Which can lead to. All sorts of legalism and sort of this insatiable, like, well, I need to absolutely make sure. And, they, you know, we don't have time to get into it. But he goes on to kind of describe some of the ways that we can counteract the feeling of yeah. fear towards this passage, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. And so the first one he says is uh, recognize what it means to do the father's will, because that's what's at play here. Right. The one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Uh, he writes in verse 21, Jesus describes the one who will enter king, the kingdom as the one who does the will of my father. But what exactly does that mean? Uh, judging by the context, it must mean more than simply saying, Lord, Lord, and doing mighty works in Jesus's name. Uh, and so he says to see the answer, we should note uh, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that this is the only the second time he talks about entering the kingdom uh, of heaven. Uh, and he says, here's why this matters. When Jesus says our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees earlier, he's not saying do what they did only better. It's not that the Pharisees didn't try hard enough. It's that they were trying really hard at the wrong things. They were mm. missing the point entirely focused on external behaviors to get people's praise while neglecting to do justice, love kindness and walk humbly with God. So he kind of get, they're getting at the point that Jesus is trying to nail down on. You're focused on the wrong thing here, which he, he says here with number two uh, as well. He says, recognize the primary nowhere. He says throughout most of my life, I read verse 23 as though Jesus was saying, depart from me because you never knew me, i.e. you were never truly saved. He said, that's true, but it's actually not what the verse says. Instead, Jesus says, I never knew you. It's not ultimately a question of whether we know him, as important as that is, but whether he knows us. I'm reminded of a great scene in C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader between Edmund and Eustace. Hearing Edmund speak of his experiences with Aslan, the unknowing Eustace inquires, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? To which Edmund responds, well, he knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea who saved me and saved Narnia. Like that yeah. that example of, which again, I would love to pick apart theologically some other yeah. time because yeah. is there anyone in your mind theologically, Brian, that God doesn't know? Like how do we, how do we talk intelligently, theologically about that? What, is, what does that mean that Jesus doesn't know somebody? Yep, yep. no, that's a... <laughs> As our as clock wrapping is, up, as our <laughs> clock is blinking at us, that's a really hard question because I know there's people all over the theological spectrum. Um, so yeah, give this article a read. Let's let's continue this conversation on the Facebook page. Give this article a read. TheGospelCoalition.org. You can read it at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good uh, Radio Show. But I do think I do like that near the end they say we don't have to live in terror of the final day. We could be preparing for it. Uh, because of those known by Jesus, the final day won't be some huge disruption. Uh, it'll be the heightened continuation of the relationship we already enjoy with him now by faith. And uh, yeah, this this can be a scary passage. So we'd love to hear you wrestle with it. I know we come from different theological bents, a lot of us on our Facebook page. And we would love to hear where you're at. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about the Pope and some encouragement uh, that he gave recently for those not to lose hope. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, Thank you in advance for doing that. I just... Again, I don't know why I like to describe what's going on in the studio. You really do. But but the window we were discussing earlier uh-huh, sure. has kind of some of the stuff we look up and we read. I feel like just now there's a new picture in the hallway because we share this hallway with, uh, with oh, 560. No. Here he goes. <laughs> Sean Hannity is right staring at me on uh-huh. the picture on the wall. And it made me kind of like, what? What's he, what's he doing on the wall he there? Looks, he's speaking into a microphone. But he looks, it, it appears... <laughs> I know he's just, like he's just talking, but it, he does have a very pastoral look, almost a prayerful look to him. Oh, see, to me, uh, his posture looks like he's a uh, like a child, and he was just gifted a <laughs> he was just gifted a microphone for Christmas, and he's like he's saying, "Thank you, Papa." Thank you for this microphone. Like he's holding it real close, like a gift that he's always true. wanted. Doesn't it, isn't that what you see? It's so creative, it's so true. <laughs> but if you can see it, it's like he is staring right at where I was just looking to read things, and it was like, oh, he's, we'll, we'll post it online. We'll post it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure people. It's enthralling to every, yeah. every time we come back. I'm like, now here's what the studio yeah, looks let like. Me, now. Let me tell you about the gray walls of the, <laughs> the studio. Gray carpeted walls, still gray. <laughs> oh well, the new year is underway and. Our friends at InTouch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world, an inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So again, sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. Really well done, Sean. I mean, uh, Brian, sorry. Sorry, I was distracted. We need to get Sean Hannity to do a voiceover for the show. Think he'll do it. Think he'll do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> what do you think? I think the answer to that is no. I think that picture is as close as we're getting to him. Thank you, Papa. <laughs> It's really funny. <laughs> Thank you, Papa. Oh boy! So Pope Francis, Pope Francis uh, is—he uh, offered a sober analysis of a number of global problems and challenges in his annual address to ambassadors. But he looked to uh, to encourage the church and the followers not to lose hope. So, uh, what are your thoughts? What did Pope Francis share in his address to the ambassadors? Well, he shared a lot. It's a long article. <laughs> uh, we say this all the time, but I I really would recommend you go and read the whole thing because it's um it's convicting it's challenging it's super i know plenty of people listening are like why you know i don't uh i'm not catholic why i read anything that he says i think it's worthwhile but i'll I'll just i'll read how it intros because i think it's important it says early in his pontificate pope francis acknowledged that an essential part of his mission as bishop of rome is to confirm his brothers and sisters not only in the faith but also in love in unity one of the more visible and high-profile ways he does this is by making pastoral visits to countries around the world following in the footsteps of his post-Vatican II predecessors. But Francis's 32 trips abroad can be distinguished from those who came before him by two words or concepts, dialogue and encounter. Over the nearly seven years he's been Pope, I can't believe it's been seven years. Isn't it crazy? That's nuts. He has continued to meet people where they are, not just geographically, but culturally, spiritually, socially, and in a word, existentially. He spends a lot of time listening to others of all walks of life. At home and abroad, Francis does this most often in private settings without private uh, prying eyes or foreknowledge of the media. Some of these personal encounters and the topic of their discussions are occasionally made known, usually by the people who meet the Pope, but others remain hidden or are merely the subject of speculation. Francis made seven pastoral journeys in 2019, and he recalled each of them as a sort of springboard to highlight his concerns for the current state of the world, which he spells out at the beginning of each calendar year in a major address to ambassadors accredited uh, to the Holy See. So this is this is the quote that kind of hinges the whole article. He says, uh, a new year is opening before us like the cry of a newborn baby. It fills us with joy and hope. I would like that word hope which is an essential virtue for Christians to inspire our way of approaching the times that lie ahead. Mm. So I appreciate that for a lot of reasons. We did a little bit of this when we were wrapping up the year a couple of weeks ago where we, what was the article we read? Um, there was like 20 positive trends in the last decade or something like that. We yeah. were, we were trying to inspire at least a little bit like, Hey, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of heartache, a lot of grief in the world. There's there's reasons for hope, right? This is literally the station's hope for your life, right? right? Like right, we right. we wouldn't say that if we didn't believe it. Um, but he goes on to kind of outline because he's not you know some Pollyanna. He's like he's a very smart, yep. very educated, very obviously very aware person who is uh, I think experiencing some of these face to face conversations in real time. Um, and for that to be kind of the anchor of his address, like hey, we, it's. Now more than ever, there's there's a need for hope. There, there's just something that, that to me feels so right about that. Absolutely, and and <clears throat> so I do like it goes through all the different things he talked about, and it, the Pope is always an interesting uh, person because it's it's highly pastoral, but also highly. I don't mean political in a partisan sense, although some people see him in that way, but political right. in a sense of like he's dealing with, you know, the issues of the world, the Middle right, East, right. the this, the that. Um, and but but over all of it, he's trying to say we as Christians, um, whether Catholic or Protestant, need to keep hope uh, and, and need to have that kind of view of hope. I'm wondering, as a pastor, do you see your role? Uh, because a lot of times pastors can be 
Uh, you know, you could grow a church or, or a following with anger and kind of everything negative, negative. Oh, for sure. Or you can be hopeful and go, you know what? We have a message of hope. Do you see your role pastorally to be one uh, to not just provide hope, but to encourage our people to be hopeful in, in just even their posture towards the world? I mean, I see it as part of that. I uh, This will sound a little too simplistic, but I, I really try to think through the many different facets of Jesus's ministry. Was he sometimes giving hope? Yeah. Absolutely. Was he sometimes cracking a whip? Also true. Mm. Like there, there, there is, and there's been, I think, some subtle critique on our end of pastors who are only always shimmering hope yes. where you're like, yeah, it's a, it's a dark, sad world. So that's good, but it's not the whole story. You know, like it's, it is, I, I think hope is probably the anchor in a lot of ways. Like yeah. even if you're giving a sermon on repentance, right? The whole kind of underbelly is that we have hope of new life in Jesus Christ. Right. So it isn't just like, yeah, you're a real terrible person. You, de- yeah, you definitely need to repent. It means metanoia. It means turn around because you're going in a stupid direction. <laughs> like you can talk about repentance and not give hope and yeah. just kind of beat people over the head with it. So I, I think you can still talk about hard, difficult aspects even of just the local church life. Um, but I think if it isn't in some way uh, incorporated with hope, then it ends up being just sort of a shame fest. And I I don't think there's any place for that in the church, to be honest. And on the other end, like you said, when, when anything is hope and not acknowledge, when everything is hope and not acknowledging the difficulties out there, it can come across as like tone deaf. Are you reading the world? Come on. And that's why I like what the Pope says. He told the ambassadors from more than 180 countries, quote, hope has to be realistic, which requires that problems be called by their name and courage be found to resolve them yeah so he's saying don't just it's this again it's not like some hope that just is like supposed to wipe away all the problems like you're you come to me and you're like hey man uh my world is crashing down around me hey just have hope just have hope. but it's right. gotta be some no no where's their hope found in there and i think that's when as we as christians can be effective because we do have a message of hope but it's not a message of hope that gets rid of all the struggles of this world right Th- those have to live in tension and live together for right. them to be actual hope but that's what hope actually is exactly. and I, I think that's p- part of why people get frustrated sometimes by religious institutions that seem to sort of just bury their heads in the sand or they live so high up in the clouds or like well yeah but like my marriage is still falling apart or my i still haven't found a job or yeah. like how do you have hope in the midst of that and he i mean he talks about young people education climate he does it all politics poverty populism all in 25 minutes. No, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the Middle East, migrants, Notre Dame, the wall, European values, war, poverty, displaced persons in Africa, Asia, and the lessons of the bomb, the reformed United Nations, and women. Like, he, I mean, he tackles a lot of topics. Of Man, this, this should be like a whole show. We just unpack this article. Exactly. So we'd encourage you to read it. We'll put it up on our Facebook page, uh, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, but ultimately, where do we find hope as the new year begins? Uh, what does it mean to be people of hope? Well, coming up next, we teased it earlier. Dallas Jenkins, our old friend, is going to be in here to talk about The Chosen and to talk about all things media and the church. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday evening. Uh, an old friend is back in the studio. We are really excited to have <laughs> Dallas Jenkins back with us. <laughs> Providing his own cheering in the background. <laughs> his own cheering. He brought people with him. There's a whole crowd it. of people in here. Uh, 
you guys might remember Dallas used to join us on a regular basis. It's been a while. Work got a little busy for you, and so we want to also start there. But as a background, uh, Dallas has been making films for 20 years, and in 2018 created The Chosen, which is the first ever multi-season show about the life of Christ, which became the number one highest crowdfunded media project in history and is now available around the world. When you used to come in... Uh, the Chosen was just kind of getting off the ground. And so now right. we kind of want to look back. How's it going? Tell us, give us an update on The Chosen. Well, do you remember when you first introduced me? There, someone had provided you a bio that <laughs> yeah. said something like a worldwide. Worldwide. Uh, no, delighting audiences. Delighting audiences, <laughs> yeah, delighting audiences around the world. Well, now, see, at the time I was like, that's ridiculous. It's actually true now. <laughs> The Chosen is now uh, in over 180 countries around wow. the world. This show is prophetic, is what you're yes, saying. It's exactly. <laughs> and you guys set the standard. I have now officially delighted audiences around the world. Well, I don't know about the delighted part, but I'm, I, right. I've been seen. Uh, so, yeah, the, uh, I think last time we spoke, I was leave. I was about to leave for Texas. That's right. Which right. Is where yep. we were filming That's right. the second half of season one of The Chosen. That's been filmed. And it's out now, so it was released Thanksgiving. So season one is complete and out. And at the time we talked last time, too, there wasn't this app that had been nope, created. Right, so at all. That's been kind of this crazy thing. Uh, we found that when people saw the show, they uh, became evangelists for it. Right. So they would buy DVDs to give away. In fact, you, you were telling me that. Uh, yeah. And you were telling me that. that I'm the recipient of one of those DVDs. Someone yeah. dropped off DVDs on your desk and said, you've got to see this show. That's been happening uh, regularly. And also, um, people just, they want to share it. They want to talk about it. That's awesome. And so we decided to just re- re- reduce every barrier of entry we could give to people to watch yeah, the show. Right. Which has both spiritual impact, but also, ironically enough for us, also had financial impact, which was that, we, we found that we were making more money, and I'll explain in a second why we need to make money. Right, right. <laughs> I don't want, to sound, don't want to sound crass. Like, right. Oh, the money's been coming in on this Jesus show. Finally. The Jesus money's going. I am raking it in. The project is paying off. Right. No, but, uh, but we found that uh, nowadays people have so little time mm-hmm. and, uh, and money, so little time and money to, for, for entertainment uh, and their options are so varied uh, that it became difficult to kind of break through that and mm. break through the noise. And especially for a show like this, where there's a lot of people, even within the Christian uh, market, who are somewhat resistant or hesitant to watch a Jesus show, for right. whether because they think it's going to be cheesy or maybe they're concerned it's not, it's gonna, not going to follow the Bible. Whatever the right, reasons yeah. are, it became hard to convince people to try something new. Right. And so we decided, l- let's make it free. And... See and, and and people have been responsive to that, and the, the easier we can make it for people to watch it, uh, and we found, like I said, that the, when they did watch it, they became passionate about it. So, the Bible verse uh, Isaiah forty three nineteen it says starts by saying, "Behold, I am doing a new thing," mm-hmm. and that's something that we really started to kind of take to heart. Is you know the Christian market is especially in media is often following the world. And we tend to be behind the times when it comes to our media, when it comes to our trends. Right. And sometimes it's cool to do something new and actually set a trend. And so that's what we decided to do. Uh, my partners came up with this idea for an app where if you go to your app store or Google Play, wherever you get apps, you download The Chosen. You just look it up. It's easy to find. And you can actually connect it directly to your streaming device oh, without wow. needing a subscription or anything. So you got Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast, Fire Stick. Wow. Connect directly to your TV from your phone and you can watch it. So 
the way it was financed as a new thing. As you mentioned, it was the number one high cross, highest crowdfunded product of all time. Uh, the content itself is new. It's the first ever multi-season show about the life of Christ. The way you can watch it is new with this app that's yeah, a little right. unprecedented in technology. It's never been done before. Wow. And now the way that you distribute it around the world is new. We literally flicked a switch, and the app immediately became available all over the world. And so people in so far over 180 countries wow. have downloaded the app. We're in the top 100 in Iran right now, actually. No kidding. Wow. Really cool. We've gone viral in the Philippines. Um, it's really been a, an, an amazing thing, and I, I say it with all humility because I wasn't even my idea to do that. Right. My partner's idea, but what we found is um, also streaming, and you guys probably know this because you have a show, streaming costs money. Every right. time someone mm. streams or downloads right. a show on Netflix or whatever it is, it costs the platform money. Right. So we couldn't make it free for everyone around the world or we would have lost immediately mm. hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And so we created this pay it forward idea, which is we said to people, look, if you love the show, yeah. you saw it for free, if you love it, Make it available for free to people around the world. Mm. And so people around the world, when they see the first couple episodes, if they get to episode three or four or whatever, they'll be told, listen, these streams that you've been watching so far were paid for by someone else. Uh, right. You can keep watching if you want, but you're probably going to have to wait because we have a limited number of streams available. You can pay it forward now. So for 20 bucks, you can make sure that over 20 people around the world get to oh, see it cool. for free. Or you, could, you can wait if you don't have the money. Mm. Yeah. You can wait a couple hours and see if new streams open up. And uh, af again, after seeing the episodes, people wanted to do that. And we also said, too, this is where the money part comes in, which mm -hmm. is where it's important. Yeah. Uh, I'm not seeing any of this money person, <laughs> just, to be, to, just to be very clear. He rolled up in a Maserati. The shows is paying off. <laughs> um, note to self, make Jesus shows. Make, make a bunch yeah, of money. Right, right. No, but, uh, but. The Pay It Forward program is also how we finance future episodes and seasons, that's along with sales, uh, uh, sales of DVDs. So, again, that's a very, very long answer to your question, sure, but there's been cool. so many things going on. That's awesome. Since, and, but at the heart of it, uh, more than anything else, is people's lives are being changed, and that's been that's awesome. so cool. Is Every single day, I'm not exaggerating, we hear dozens from dozens of people personally, and then we see on Facebook and, and Instagram people saying, uh, I've never loved the Bible more than I have after no watching the show. I'm going, I'm going back into the Bible because, as as we talked about before, uh, this show is not just a verse by verse reenactment of Scripture. Right. We add backstory. Right. We add some artistic imagination. We add uh, historical and cultural context. Right. And some people have been concerned about that, saying, yep. "Oh, are you adding to the Bible?" And we're not adding to the Bible, of course, because the Bible is still the same. We haven't, we're not scripture. Right, we right. Haven't written a new book of, of, of scripture. But uh, in the show, we do add backstory. Hmm. And some people have said, well, are you concerned that that's going to cause people to not know what's from the Bible or what's not? All, we've, all we can tell you is that people have been so passionate about the show and have said, I mean, we've got people every day saying, I. My, my relationship with my prodigal son has been restored because we wow. the show together. Wow. Um, I led my father to Christ while showing him the first episode uh, as he was in the hospital. Um, those stories have become so regular wow. that, it's, that we've stopped disbelieving them. It's just every yeah. day. And now it's around the world. People from the Philippines, people from wow. India, people from Iran saying... Thank you for making the show available to us. Uh, the Bible has come alive like never before. Awesome. And our relationship with God is stronger than ever before. So, um, again, I'm, I'm again, I, I'm sorry for taking up so much no, time. Talking no, about, no, it's no, just been a, thank it's you been, for I sharing feel, that. I feel like it's a train that I'm just lucky to be a passenger awesome. on. Well, it's been cool even 
anecdotally because I've seen a lot of stuff in my own feed from people that are like, oh my gosh, has anyone seen this? Are you guys talking about like, and every time I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of know that guy. Like, it's just, <laughs> But it's a cool thing to see the lives personally, honestly, and to thank right. you for that, that I know who it's affecting and I know that they're legit. You know, and I imagine when you get that feedback, you're like, is this story, is it inflated a little bit? Or they exact, and, and to know these are, these are actually real stories and real people being affected by them is amazing. Yeah, it's just, it's just been really cool. And I think, like you said, in fact, I'm guessing that most of the listeners right now have not heard yet of the, of the show because right. this isn't, it's not on Netflix. It's not, right, doesn't have the right. money of a big, huge studio. Um, and we've spent very little money on marketing. We've just been really trying to perfect the app and, and work on our word of mouth. And, and the people who've seen it have been uh, slowly spreading the word and it's getting out there now. And, and I think, again, the plan is we, we're doing something new. So yeah. I know it, I know not everyone's like, Oh, do I have to download an app? I, that, that's the, I, I wish I could just turn on Netflix and just watch right, it there. Right. Well, they didn't pay for it. The, the, right. The Netflix didn't, you know, Hollywood's not passionate lining up around the block for a Jesus mm, show. Right. And so you got to do something new and we're going directly to the people and it's been, it's been great. So that's far. awesome. That's man. so good to hear that it's going so well. Cause like you said, when you were in here before, it was kind of, we feel passionate about this, but what's the future hold? And, and right. now it, it's, it's, it's kind of the realization of a dream so far. So we're excited for that. Well, that is Dallas Jenkins you're listening to uh, joining us today. And thankfully, Dallas is going to join us for another segment where we're going to talk all things uh, media and the church. We're just going to jump around and ask him a bunch of things, Academy Awards and some other things. Coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and uh, we are excited to be joined again by Dallas Jenkins here in studio. If you weren't with us last segment, A, we'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, but B, let me remind you, Dallas, uh, in 2018, created The Chosen, which is the first ever multi-season show about the life of Christ, and we couldn't be more thrilled that it's doing well, and it's having a huge impact worldwide. People uh, come into Christ, and uh, so we are... Are, we are really thrilled for you. We're actually also happy to learn that you are now delighting audiences worldwide. <laughs> That's the thing I'm most excited about. We felt like we were lying. <laughs> since the last segment, though, uh, I apparently haven't, like the last 10 minutes, I haven't been delighting audiences worldwide. It'll get to But I think in the next few minutes, it's going to happen again. So. Oh, you have like a constant radar just keeping uh, track of how delighted audiences are right now yes. with you. And right now in the Elgin, Arlington Heights area, the delight is increasing rapidly. <laughs> Our delightometer is off the charts. Yeah, yes. All right, so it's uh, it's award season. We yes. did a segment last week on mostly on Ricky Gervais's intro at the Golden Globes. Just it was amazing. It really was. And we didn't realize how um, how different the opinions were of the people even listening to the show because he and I were like, wow, wasn't that wasn't that great? And a lot of people were like, that was really not cool. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's led to some interesting dialogue. Yeah, not cool because he was vulgar at times or just because they actually do like well, that's what's speeches. interesting. Yeah, sometimes it had to do with his language. Sometimes mm-hmm. it had to do with uh, his attitude. I don't know. Right. Like, I know you know what you're getting when you are with Ricky Gervais, right? Yeah. It's part of. And I don't, are you big into award season stuff? Like, do you take a deep dive? So it's interesting. I used to be significantly into it. Like when I was really? growing up, that was my dream. I would practice Academy Award speeches. In front oh, of no wow. kidding! Oh yeah, and I would stay. When I first started my career, I said my goal uh, is to win an Academy Award someday. Okay. And uh, in the last. I don't know, five years that completely went away. And I, and at the risk of sounding cheesy, I genuinely don't care about hmm. uh, the world's response anymore. Mm, like I really, I really, 
uh, I think I, I had a narcissistic streak in my life significantly, and it led to some pain in my life, and I decided to really go after that and go after self-absorption, mm. and God took away those desires. Wow. And so now when I watch award seasons uh, and award shows, I still do because I'm in the industry, but we watch it almost like Ricky Gervais does, which right. is like, oh my gosh, these people just need to stop <laughs> taking themselves so seriously. It's, I mean, and it's so annoying. Right. And that's why we, we personally loved him telling the the. Uh, the elite, right? Just, yeah, yeah right. stop. Like, no one cares about your opinions about <laughs> politics and stuff. Just get up and you know, get your award. So, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I genuinely don't have that desire anymore. But, but we still, we still do watch it, and I still do enjoy, yeah, uh, seeing the nominations. And, yeah. uh, but I, I, the other thing that I find increasingly common is the disconnect between the Hollywood elite and the common person. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. When you look at the Academy Award nominations, I would say the vast majority of them, I would say most of your listeners would say, I haven't seen, right. I've seen one of these movies or two yep. of these movies. Uh, that's why ratings are going down. Mm-hmm. I think that there, there just seems to be this uh, both political, mm-hmm. uh, religious, and even media disconnect between uh, the award shows and the audience. Isn't that fascinating? I, I was thinking too, even about movies that we've watched in the last year where like on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience rating was through yeah. the roof and like the expert rating plummeted. And I thought, what is happening there where there's Ooh. this massive, maybe the chasm was already there and we just weren't really mindful of it. But I feel like that was a lot of Gervais's whole intro. He's like, no one cares about your award as much as you do. Right. So just accept it and then get off the stage. Right. I didn't say right. it quite that way. Right. But right. like, why do you think that, why do you think that gap is widening between like the, artistic elite and like the common person that's like i didn't see half of these well because i think that the filmmakers in hollywood they not only have a chasm between them and the audience but there's also oftentimes a chasm between them and the media companies Mm. so media companies about you know 20 years ago started being sold to this huge conglomerate right and the money maker you know when, when the desire to make money uh, which is more, which is stronger in big corporations than it is in, an, an, you know, an artistic production company. Right. Who's just trying to do it for the art? Mm-hmm. They took over and they said, "Listen, why are you making so many R-rated movies when those mm-hmm. aren't the things that make money? Mm-hmm. Family films, G-rated films, PG films do so much better." So if you notice, the big blockbusters, the big movies that are in the top ten at the box office, tend to be PG thirteen or lower. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Tend to be more family friendly. So even more so. Artists are like we have to f- we have to carve out our niche, right? And so they're making films that are much more uh, politically minded, much mm-hmm. more artistically minded, and so the Academy Awards, which are designed to reward the so-called best, right? They're going to be honoring those niche films oh. that maybe didn't have a big audience because the Marvel movies they're making all the money. They don't need the awards. They don't yeah. need the nominations. Okay. So you rarely see Marvel films at the Academy Awards, but you do see these artistic politically minded things and then the the actors and the directors feel the need to uh, because they don't have as much of a voice as they used to mm. think, i mean think think about this real quick how many times like t- 20 years ago you could have named the top five movie yes. stars off right. the top of your head like that now Easy. you have to think about it like actually who is a movie besides <laughs> tom hanks really like, who is who when they do a movie everyone immediately wants to go right. see it and it's a huge yeah, global right now marvel is the star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, on, he's on netflix that's right? true right but, true. Uh, but the, the and even then he was not as big as say, oh, totally. Will smith back in the day oh, right. absolutely but nowadays marvel's the star mm. uh, pixar is the star oh, star wars is the star wow. the actors themselves are no longer guaranteeing and they don't have the, the reach that they used to 
So now the award show is their opportunity to say something. Oh, interesting. And they don't really care what someone in, in Elgin, Illinois thinks. Because right. they're like, we actually think you're evil or racist or sexist or whatever it is. Right. Because we're in a time where sure. politically we're, com- we're com- completely divided. And right. So they feel like they have to take a stand against uh, mm. whether it's Trump or whether it's voters or whether it's. Uh, you know, the flyover states or whatever it is, that's the right. opportunity. Interesting. Interesting. Taking a little right turn, and I, I'm assuming that you've heard of this. Uh, Ian and I were talking last week about this new Netflix show called Messiah. Of course. Yeah. And uh, I don't feel like we had much to offer <laughs> like, right. as we were reading about it. <laughs> Curious your take on it, especially someone who is, we jokingly last said that you've made a Jesus show, but yeah. one about the Bible, one very close. Well, talk to us about this Netflix show, The Messiah. Yeah, so uh, actually, yeah, when it, when it started to get attention, a lot of chosen fans were saying, kind of differentiating us from Messiah and mm. saying, Oh really? Netflix is doing these awful Jesus shows. Cause there was that, uh, show that came out of Brazil, uh, portraying Jesus as gay. That's that right. Was it was comedy. actually banned, right? Right. Just recently. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then there's this Messiah show and they're like, we're, we're canceling our Netflix, Netflix subscriptions because they're anti Jesus. Let's go to the chosen. Let's support the chosen, which I was like, well, that's nice. However, <laughs> I, d- I was also saying, listen, Messiah is actually made by Mark Burnett and uh-huh. Roma Downey, who right. are believers mm. and who did uh, the Bible right. uh, show a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, on the surface, it turns people off or at least Christians off because it seems like they're kind of marketing this concept of a bad Jesus. Mm. Um, I have not actually seen the show yet. I know a lot about it, but I haven't seen it. So I want to make that clear. However, um, it is not a statement against Jesus Mm. or anything like that. It is Mm. a show that is attempting to do something unique, do something interesting about what would happen if a modern day Messiah type Mm. figure came along. And would we recognize him as the Messiah or as the Antichrist? Uh, could we could we tell the difference? And I think right. it, I think it posi- positions some really interesting questions. It's not a show for kids. It's not a family friendly show. There's right. some language and, and violence and whatnot. But um, I'm not quite as anti right. as as some people are on the service. I think sometimes we need to read up a little bit more on it and say, oh, maybe they're trying to do something interesting because yep. it's not a bad premise per se. And I think that the filmmakers, um, Mark and, and Roma, aren't necessarily people who've. Uh, I, I think they are people who've earned a little bit of, of uh, I don't know, some patience yes. yeah, from, right. from the Christian community. Some benefit go, of the doubt, okay, right. Maybe, yeah, maybe they're, maybe they're trying to do something interesting, and, and sometimes new can be scary. Yes, right. But I don't think they're, trying, they're being uh, blasphemous or anything like that. Now, the characters in the show might be blasphemous. <laughs> sure, right, right. But we don't that doesn't know. necessarily right. mean that the show itself is. That's good coaching, man. All right, so like in the minute we have left, what, what's uh, in the future for Dallas Jenkins? <laughs> well, I, I do plan to continue to delight all That's number one, of course. We worked that in four times. That's impressive. Yeah. It is. It um, is. Well, uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll be back uh, about once a month on, yep. on the show to yes. talk about media we and love that. pop culture. But uh, this year, hopefully, we're going to be going into season two. We're writing it right now. Awesome. Um, as people continue to watch the show, I do hope that people will check out. We talked about doing something new. Uh, the Chosen is a new thing, and the way you watch it is new. If you go to the, the App Store or Google Play, just download the Chosen app. We're easy to find. And you don't have to watch it on your phone. You can actually connect it directly to cool. your streaming devices. That's awesome. And it's free. Uh, so hopefully that will continue to grow, which will allow us to do season two in future seasons. And uh, we really do want this show to impact the world. And um, that's really what my life is entailing. Yeah, I love it, man. Besides my family is trying to tell the stories of Christ to uh, all around the world. It's awesome. That's amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. And we're excited you're going to be coming back to lighting the common good audience uh, on a monthly basis. So (laughs) thanks for doing this. Uh, You've been listening to Dallas Jenkins. Uh, For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to the common good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. That music? Did we decide it's music? Yeah. Sure. Uh, it can only mean one thing. We're at the end of the show. Uh, we are going to read crazy stories our producers have found from the internet. We are we have not seen these. We are going to read them. We will laugh with you. We will cringe with you. We will uh, we'll be insulted if you are insulted. We are, just remember we're with you. We oh. are with you. We're your friends in against this. our producers on these. So. <laughs> <laughs> we like to intro this segment making them the enemy. That's what we want to do. Exactly. Uh, why don't you go first? Um, because I'm afraid to. That's why I. Don't do you want to, to, my right. New Jersey, my home state. Your <laughs> hometown, my home state. From the city of New Jersey, <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the town of New Jersey. <laughs> well, maybe it's more of a village. I don't know. Uh, family returns from vacation, discovers scorpion in luggage, a venomous eight-leg stowaway that hitched a ride from Costa Rica to Vineland. Vineland. Yes. Vineland. Oh, really? Yes. Is now in the custody of the State Division of Fish and Wildlife. The scorpion startled in the east. Vineland family who discovered it in their luggage while unpacking from vacation. Golly, that's awful. Containing, containing it within a with a within a secured golf bag banished to the garage. They alerted the city's animal control officer James Brannon, who called the called in backup just before noon <laughs> Monday. Brannon accompanied the New Jersey. This, is that the city or the state of New Jersey? That's the state. State of New yep, Jersey. Yep. Thank <laughs> you for conservation police officer Keith Fox disappeared into the two-bay garage armed with snake tongs. Did not know that was a thing. About 15 minutes later, they emerged carrying the creepy trespasser secured in a plastic takeout food container with air holes poked in the lid and reportedly surrendered without a strike. There's no spider here. But I will hunt down the alleged arachnid and spread some the kingdom come. Are snake tongs any different than just generic kitchen tongs, you think? Yeah, I think you're supposed to use them at the same time. Yeah, they so. put them in Tupperware, basically, it sounds <laughs> like. <laughs> Someone just came in, like, eating their Chinese takeout. <laughs> yeah, stick a snake in there. <laughs> Next one's out of Nevada. Nevada or Nevada? No, I'm going Nevada. Uh, Pampers new device sends you a notification when your kid has a dirty diaper. Oh, I saw this. I don't think that's a good idea. Lumi by Pampers is a smart sensor that attaches to your infant's diaper and sends you a notification when they go to the bathroom. Mm, Pampers no. showed off the sensor, which also tracks sleep, at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas this week. Lumi by Pampers is described on a company's website as the world's first all-in-one connected care system oh boy. that helps parents track day-to-day development and monitor their baby 24-7 so they can see emerging patterns and establish a suitable routine. This is crazy. So repeat stuff, repeat stuff, repeat stuff, repeat. We've done that one, that's why. So. Oh, we've done oh. this, this <laughs> kicker? Yeah. Oh, okay. Man, that that's was a little good. Bo Burnham there. Oh. Yeah, it was. Way to go. All right. I will go to Canada. Police, firefighters called in after flat earth debate turns heated. Oh boy, a family argument over whether the earth is flat or round became so heated that one of the participants threw a propane cylinder. <laughs> It's funny that it's a, <laughs> no, okay. into a campfire, <laughs> prompting an intervention by firefighters. The dispute over a question most considered resolved centuries ago boiled over. Police said a 56-year-old Brockville man was at a campsite with his son and his son's girlfriend when the woman began insisting that the earth is flat. The older man insisted the earth is round. It's not clear if anyone at the campfire put forth the argument that the earth's uh, equatorial bulge makes it not perfectly round, but instead a shape known as oblate spheroid. <laughs> Nevertheless, police said the man became so enraged, he began throwing objects into the campfire, including a propane cylinder. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> 
Oh, I just had hiccups in a microphone on the radio. Whoa. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, hiccups will come out of nowhere from you there. Man. <laughs> true story. Vermont. The proposed Vermont law would ban cell phone use for anyone under 21. Violators could face up to a year in jail. What? There's no way this is passing. A new bill has been introduced to the Vermont State Senate that, if passed, would ban anyone under 21 from using a cell phone. According to the bill, anyone younger than 21 years of age who possesses, owns, or uses a cell phone could be subject to one year of imprisonment or a $1,000 fine or both. The bill, introduced by Senator John Rogers, included data by the United States Department of Transportation that notes how cell phones are involved in over a million car crashes each year, as well as how 11 teenagers die each day in car crashes. The bill includes various arguments as to why cell phones should not be allowed to be possessed by anyone under 21, such as how the devices are frequently used for bullying and threatening uh, young people. The article does end this way by Rogers saying, I have no delusions that it's going to pass. I wouldn't probably vote for it myself. Who are you texting 50 times a day? I decay my BFF gel. <laughs> All right, so he was doing it to prove a point. That's funny. Oh, nope. thank goodness. We got a Florida in oh, there. We had to. A beachcomber brought home what she thought was a rusty old plate. Months later, she learned it was a landmine. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Back in April, Jane Wilson found what she thought was an old plate lying on the beach. Why would she bring home an old plate? I don't know. The truth is a bit more explosive. <laughs> Wilson, who works as a private home health aide, was walking her client's dog around sunrise on Indian River Shores Beach in Florida. The avid beachcomber likes collecting sea glass, so she examined the seashell beds as she walked, just in case something caught her eye, and something did. Lying atop the sand that day was what looked like a plate, maybe lost long ago off a Spanish ship. So she took it home. For months, she chipped away at the shells and barnacles crusted onto its surface, storing it in a lunchbox cooler filled with water. Then on Tuesday, there was a post on a community webpage about a man who found a landmine. A friend sent it over to Wilson saying, Jane, is that thing that you have in a cooler or in your living room floor? That's when Wilson realized that she had stored at home. For the past nine months, she'd been chipping away at a landmine. Yeah, it that's gets to the point. Yeah, it makes it gets to the point. A little point. on the nose, but sure. Oh, well, Monday is in the books. This felt like a laughy one, a crazy one, but it's good to be back for the week. A laughy one. It did. A lot of giggling today. Uh, it, we would love to have you join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us here today on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> 